Welcome to TA1. Everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. <clears throat> I'm your host, the little horse, legendary Randy Erickson. I think the little horse because I've been doing a lot of talking. Talked to some, uh, had some cool guests, including this week's and uh, next week's and probably the one after that and the one after that. And Because you're adventure racers. You're all cool. Goes goes with the territory. Um, seems like things are starting to heat up. It is only like <clears throat> around 30 days to Maya Mountain in Belize. And um, that kind of seems like it's kicking off my season. Even though I don't have uh, anything then tell Untamed New England. But uh, other than some local stuff. But uh, living with it. Any of you that have been following along on Facebook, you know I got a new drone thanks to uh, that gal that I'm married to that's in Wyoming. So I better not say anything, but um, she's over there working and having a uh, good time. It's nice for her. She just gets to do the medical part and doesn't have to do the business stuff anymore. So it's a win-win for all of us. She gets to take care of sick people and not worry about um, how she's going to get paid. Anyway, enough of that. So anyway, you've been seeing a lot of uh, drone pics, a few videos, but really been doing more pictures with it. So I promise I won't keep uh, boring you with them forever, but I'm really looking forward to uh, flying it in the jungles of Belize. Uh, that's it, I think. I don't know. Get this done. I've been sitting here for a while uh, doing uh, computerish things. So enjoy this week's episode. I I did. Um, go fast, take chances, and um, thanks for listening. Bye. Hello. JJ, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, sorry about that. That's all right. It was pretty funny though, because like the voicemail would come up even before the first first ring. <laughs> yeah, technology. Well, no problem. So, cool. So, what was on your agenda? This I don't know. Is it is it a nice day there? Uh yeah. If you like it, kind of wet and soupy. Uh, uh, it's been it's been cold as heck this last week, but today it got up to a good fifty degrees or so. So everything's melting. Yeah, well, we got four inches of snow last night, but not too bad, not too cold, 30. So we had a good day playing in the snow a little bit, me and the dog. <laughs> yeah, me too. Makes for uh, yesterday was, and the day before was pretty nice for trail running, so worked out. Yeah, it's cool. So um, who are you? <laughs> see see well, what an insightful um, journalist I am? <laughs> You are. You're, you're right on point, i got to tell you. Um, well, my name is J.J. Potasowitz. Um, I am an avid adventure racer, although still relatively green by some standards. I've been doing it for less than 10 years, which makes me something of a noob in the eyes of yeah. some, I guess. A little bit. Um, and Yeah. And uh, most recently, also the co-founder of a new adventure racing company. So sort of dove right in head first with this along with uh, my partner, Doug Kreitzer. So looking forward to that this season, and that's 
kind of what I'm all about right now. Um, in addition to that, getting ready for Belize for the Maya Mountain here coming up next month. That's going to be a lot of fun. So just sort of relatively new on the scene, I guess you could say, but uh, definitely coming in full speed. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, now, you you have been warned about Doug Kreitzer, right? We all know what <laughs> yeah, kind of we all know what kind of a person he is, a troublemaker and yeah, kind of guy. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. So. It's what makes him cute. That's it's one of the most endearing qualities about him. Yeah, and his his wife's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I so. definitely agree with you there. Julia is something. She's she is. Um, so ten years. So that kind of puts you in. Uh, I think there there was. There's the, the 80s, 90s groups, and then it, it seemed like in the 2000s it kind of kind of went away and then starting again, well, I don't know, until the last five or six, seven years it started growing again. So how did, how did you get started in what was maybe sort of a little bit of a lull in adventure racing? Well, I had been a trail runner, and mm-hmm. even then – um, into the mid 2000s, I had been very much a recreational trail runner. And by that, I mean, I just went out in the woods and went for yeah. a run. And I, yeah. I didn't even know that it was a thing until getting into the mid 2000s that you know, trail races were actually relatively widespread. And at the time, I lived out in Ohio and there weren't a whole lot of trail races going on out there. Um, but a buddy of mine, um, when I got out here to Pittsburgh, said, hey, do you want to go with me and, and try a trail run down at the Laurel Highlands, which is a, you know, you probably know is a big trail race out this way every year. Mm-hmm. And so I went out there and did that as part of a relay, loved it. And after doing that for a couple of years, ran into a whole bunch of people that were doing all sorts of different outdoor sports. And that same guy that got me into the trail race said, hey, you know, do you want to try an adventure race? I've never tried one. Let's check this out. So he pointed me to a website for grassroots racing, which was at the time being put on by Frank Ipe, who was a longtime adventure racer. And this was local to Pittsburgh, and they were they were very um, they were short races, they were sprints, so like three hour typically, three hour, four hour. Mm-hmm. And then he would have a uh, he'd have a summer series, a sprint series that would lead up to in the fall he would have a six hour or an eight hour which was always the the big championship race. And his intent was really great. And it's something that I hope to incorporate here with Lionheart over the next few years, which is he put on these sprint races to make them deliberately accessible to new racers coming in and and sort of introduce them to the sport. And then he would give them a longer race at the end of the year to to give you a little taste of what it's like to do a longer one. Um, And in my case, it worked. You know, I, I, yeah. I went out there and it was kind of funny because the guy that talked me into doing it backed out. And at that <laughs> point, I had already, yeah, I had already signed up. So um, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. I did it as a solo and drastically overprepared. You know, if it, you've been around adventure racing long enough to know this was just a three hour sprint on a nice day in a local park. And I was loaded for bear. I, I think I had every single possible piece of adventure racing equipment you can imagine. I was probably over-equipped for an expedition race and went out there, loaded down with all this stuff. But 
ended up having an absolute blast. Didn't know anything about navigation. Tried to look it up as best I could and, and sort of fumbled and fell through the race and um, did surprisingly well, by which I mean I wasn't last. And just fell in love with it from there. And, and you know, it was over the course of the next few years, I tried longer and longer events and sort of matriculated up through six hours and eight hours and 12 hours and 24 hours. And, you know, that's kind of the path, I think, for a lot of the people that I've run into over the years. Yeah. So do you guys on the East Coast, and I know you're not mm-hmm. really on the East Coast, but you sort of are for purposes mm-hmm. of this conversation. You guys have all these different series with all these three, four, you know, six-hour races. Is that simply because there's the population there to do it? Whereas, like, you know, this year in Colorado, all the races in Colorado are like, you know, 24, 36, 48. I don't know if that's just because that way they can get the serious people, but is is that what it is is you have enough population that you can do these three you know multiple numbers of three four hour races and and try to con people into the longer races i think that's part of it early on just in talking with people and having raced a lot of the smaller races um one of the things that i think is different from east coasters versus people in the Midwest and as you get out towards the Rockies and then even out on the West coast. And this is just from a racer's perspective, because really that's all I've got. Um, I don't think that there is quite the prevalence of true outdoor hobbyists in the East as there is in the Midwest and out towards the West. You have a whole group, a whole demographic of people uh, out in the, in the Midwest and certainly out West that, just do climbing and mountaineering and, and hardcore um, pack rafting and um, those sorts of things as a hobby. I think there's a bigger population of people that do that out there. So they have a comfort level with longer events. And if you look at, uh, even in trail running, if you look at some of the, the ultras, there's a much greater number of ultras and 50 milers and hundred milers and so forth out in the Midwest and towards the West than you see and then even in the southwest than you see in the northeast. And okay. so I think there's just a I think there's just a bigger following for bigger longer events out there and out east the challenge at least for us I think is going to be to attract people that are doing obstacle course races and and shorter events and marathons and so forth into something that they feel is definitely the next step up. That's how I felt from going from trail running to adventure racing, but it's still not, you know, going from doing a marathon or a a 10 mile or a 50 mile ultra even up to a four-day expedition race right away yeah so since i like to make things really simple and broad in general do you think it's you the east coast races are getting athletes and the west coast broad statement again are getting outdoor people is that yeah is that you think that's sort of the 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 difference I think in a there's very, very a broad it. way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, and I don't want to detract from the outdoors people as, and, and their athleticism. You know, those are some of the yeah. best athletes in the world, obviously, just yeah. by virtue of what they're doing all the time for fun, um, you know, versus sort of more your gym rat or dedicated roadrunner kind of person that you might see out east more and more. 
And Pennsylvania yeah. maybe is unique too. You know, Pennsylvania has a pretty high population of people that are outdoorsy versus other states too. So we're kind of lucky. Um, and I know that Pennsylvania has been uh, pretty well off as far as adventure racing for a while. It's something of a hotbed. Us in Virginia, we've got a lot of races in Virginia. So, yeah. well, maybe we'll um, we'll give Cy Cy Sack a another um, problem to work on. Where do do the Western people come from an outdoor background, and does the East Coast come from? Are they coming from the athletic background, the ten Ks and mud runs and that kind of stuff? So. Yeah, absolutely. I like, give, si, I like giving him projects. Man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, hopefully he hears this and he gets on that because I can't imagine that, that almost every RD across the country wouldn't be listening to that with very close attention. Where are these people coming from? You know, I don't know how good yeah. of a job most RDs do in tracking that information for incoming first-time racers, but uh, that would definitely be a great marketing tool for the sport in general is knowing where they're coming from. I know people have their ideas about where they want to go look, I know I do yeah. as a first-time, you know, adventure racing company um, founder, but it'd be great to know where they're actually coming from. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so, I'm yeah. going to ask you a, ask you a question that you probably have no idea how to answer, but in relation to that, I think that last thing he put out said some. I think it was 71 percent um, yep. of racers never come back. Is that, yep. How how are you going to get your racers to come back well i i was lucky enough to <laughs> easy question to, well i don't think it's a it's all that tough of a question i mean at least i have i do think i know part of it um okay. we live in a society now that is very focused on social media it's mm-hmm. been other than the actual invention of the internet i i think that the advent of social media has been the biggest culture shift in the world yeah. And if you if you look at what most people are looking for in the most popular sort of events that are close to adventure racing, which would be obstacle course racing right now, mm-hmm. um, the, one of the things that has really allowed those sports to explode is they do an excellent job in producing a social media product or being in an environment that allows a great product to go out on social media. And I was lucky enough to listen into uh, sort of a, a round table summit of uh, race directors here that was put on recently. Uh, and mm-hmm. some people on uh, online may have seen that. And one of the questions that came up was how can we improve the product of adventure racing? And unfortunately I wasn't able to get down to Virginia for that round table. I wish I would have been in the room for that discussion because I truly feel like one of the areas that adventure racing can improve on is that um, Facebook sort of product where people are, are able to take great pictures or get great pictures and post them on social media or videos of them doing things that their buddies are envious of. I think that's a huge part of the marketing hook for things like OCR. And I don't think we do nearly as good of a job as a sport at that as we potentially could. And that's not to say that there aren't outliers that maybe do. But if you think about some of the situations and some of the um, circumstances and, and scenery and just imagery that can come from adventure racing, some of it is absolutely epic as compared to just getting muddy wearing spandex and having a beer afterwards or jump, you know, jumping over fire. 
And I, I think yeah. I think that's going to be a huge part of the growth of our sport in the next three to five years is people who have jumped over the fire for the umpteenth time. You know, they're they've kind of been there, done that, and they're looking for what's next. And right now, I don't think anything is coming in to fill that void. And that could be something that adventure racing as a sport takes huge advantage of if we can put out a social media or a visual product that's going to be able to deliver on that. Yeah. I think this, the secret with that, and I, I I think I can sort of speak to this, because when I started with Primal Quest in 2009, you know, people have heard this time and time again. I, you know, I produced a two-hour DVD that came, came out eight months later, and that was fine. But now, if if my photos aren't out six hours later, nobody cares. But the technology mm-hmm. has also got it is is here almost that almost anywhere you know now we can can really put out a quality fast product and i think i think the technology is coming into the age where it's really going to help do what you suggest with the media so yeah we're, and i we're was getting i was interested i was interested listening to your conversation with um with your media colleague i'm sorry i forget her name it was just a, an episode or two ago oh, um and marie yep Anne Marie, thank you. Yeah. That, that was a great, great podcast, by the way. And that was fascinating I, listening to you guys talk yeah. about what you had to do. <laughs> it, it it is. I mean, it's a little frustrating sometimes, but but it, it but it is getting there. Like, I mean, pretty much anywhere in Portugal, we could have gone live. Um, I'm not quite sure live is right, the correct thing yet, because. Um, to, to make sure to let people know when you're, if people don't know when you're going to be live, what's kind of the use, right? <laughs> so, right. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't think I, that that's been the. I don't think that's been the visual product, the media product that's been put out by other success stories. I don't think that live has been their big hook either. I think it's yeah. been a, a combination of, like I was saying, the great visuals on websites, great visuals that turn into sort of a grassroots word of mouth effort for marketing in in Facebook and Instagram and places like that. You know, Susie down the street just finished her first Tough Mudder and, you know, look at her. She looks so badass doing this. Um, You know, and then, so what do you know, the next year when she goes to do the same thing, now she's talked three of her nurse coworkers into it, you know? Um, You know, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think adventure racing sometimes misses out on and could certainly Mm -hmm. be done better. But, you know, I, I I think that the I think the the TV episode sort of a thing. There's some possibilities there. I think if people started to put out um, some of the bigger race companies, may be more capable of doing this than smaller people. But maybe one of the things you'll start to see is a better video product to the point where somebody starts putting these up on various channels. If somebody's going to sit there and watch an hour long program on the toughest mutter 24 hour race or they're going to sit there and watch an hour-long program about a regional Spartan race, um, we could certainly, as a sport, put something together that's going to be a whole heck of a lot more interesting to, to watch, I think, than something like that. And they're well, they're making money yeah. left and right on it. Yeah, that's the, the question, and I'm sure you've had these conversations before, is, yeah, but but where's, where's the money? You know, that's – because, I mean, that's a – that's a big production to do an hour. 
of good storytelling. An, an, mm. an hour of it, images is easy. <laughs> an hour of good storytelling, that's where it gets to be hard. And, that, and if you don't have a really, really good story, nobody's going to watch for five minutes, let alone an hour. So, um, Yeah, you're right. Uh, yep, so you're right. Uh, there, there's also that yeah. that me too aspect. Sometimes people watch yeah. a show like that, and the big hook is that you're trying to show them that this is something they can do too. Yeah, well, it is because that's you know, I don't know how many people have been on this podcast. That like, yeah, I saw Eco Challenger, I saw Primal Quest on TV, and and that's where they came from. But mm-hmm. you know, the glory days when there was some money in the sport. <laughs> so I think they're um, coming back. I really do. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I think you might be right. It's definitely on an uptick, but you know, it's, it's kind of like what sport, if you're not a major stick and ball sport, you know, who has any money? Every, everybody wants content. Nobody wants to pay for it. So. Well, what I'm most excited about, and I think one of the reasons I'm so optimistic about it, and I, yeah. you know, I'm only half joking when I say the glory days are coming back. Um, I, yeah, I, I see a level of attention and a focus on organization as a sport now. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. this is the big thing. It, just like within the last year, where all of a sudden it was like, we need to organize it as a sport. We need to get better as a sport. We need, you know, the the uh, the AR co-op and things like that. I think all of a sudden there's a big focus on it, and the people I see involving themselves in that are so smart and just so driven that. I, yeah. I'd be stunned and amazed if, if it doesn't start to really snowball here. Yeah. <clears throat> well, okay. I'm I'm not a dummy. There are so many times that I'm with a group of adventure race people and realize that I'm the dumbest person in the room, and it's like, right? I'm fine <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, Doug, Doug came to me about starting up this Lionheart, and I thought to myself, yeah, cool. Yeah, why not? You know, how hard could it be? And we'll start with a few little races. And then I started to, once you start to put yourself in the community of RDs versus mm-hmm. racers, um, you know, you just, I, I started to look around going, man, I better hit the books. There's, there is some <laughs> stuff that's, really high level going on here that I need to get caught up on fast. Yeah. But that makes yeah. it exciting. You know, that, that sort of keeps you young. So it's good that way. Well, yeah. And it's what's fun is is hanging out with all these people that are really smart, but not but not so smart that they didn't realize they were getting into this sport. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's like Paulette, my wife. She's one of the smartest people I know, but She's also pretty dumb because she married me. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, here, okay. Here's a pretty technical, not technical, but basic question for like your races, for like three hour races. Will you guys be able to do like spots, dot watching for people? Do you think that's yeah, important? Yeah, I think we are going to try to do that. Yeah. Now, now let me take a step back and and be specific about the kinds of events we're putting on in the first year. Okay. Um, I think we're going we're going to have maybe oh let me think one two three we'll have three or four races actual adventure races here in 2018 and one of them will be a six hour slash twelve hour one will be um, I think both of them will be six hours slash two of them will be six hours slash twelve hours 
another one will be a sprint because I am because that's where I came from and that introduced me to the sport and I looked at all the people regionally that were willing to try that versus people that are willing to take the plunge into a six hour, 12 hour right away. Yeah. Um, you know, when you think about where those people are going to come from, they're, they're going to come from obstacle course. They're going to come from triathlon. They're going to come from orienteering and, you know, to, to put something on that's going to go three hours or so, they're going to just look at that and compare it to other events they've, they've done. So three hours to them, they're thinking marathonish. Yeah. And so that becomes something accessible to them. The, the six hour, 12 hours or more for the actual adventure races or people, excuse me, racers or people who are a little more familiar with it. And um, I know that that's something that we just have to keep going and have accessible to people. But I think we're only going to put on maybe one sprint. Um, okay. So, you know, get a, get a so, yeah, are you going to do Just that to early an and then, yeah, and then kind of? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, early, and we'll see how hard it is to put on. But we're also as as a company, I think one of the things that we're also doing is we're tasting a bunch of different things to sort of try them out. There are there are adventurish, as Cy likes to put it. Um, there are adventurish uh, sports mm-hmm. that are out there, and we're doing those too. So Doug's put on a few Xterra triathlons over the years. And I've done a couple of those, and those are a lot of fun. And for adventure racers, those are a lot of fun too. They're great training, um, you know. But and that's a great community of people. And I think a lot of adventure racers come from there. So we're going to put one of those on. So that's just a an Xterra triathlon and off road. And then we're also going to try a swim run. Okay. And s- swim runs are completely new to me. I had not yeah. even heard of this uh, until six months ago when <laughs> we just started yeah. looking around for other adventurous kind of stuff but they're really cool and and they i'm fascinated to find out how they do especially in the pittsburgh region there's actually a ton of swim clubs around pittsburgh there's a pretty good community of of hobbyist swimmers endurance swimmers and things like that around the pittsburgh region and and southwestern pennsylvania so i'm going to be really fascinated to find out who's into that and that's one that we're putting on in june and i'm I'm going to be real interested to see how that one goes. Those are, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever heard of Otillo's or swim runs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, I don't know. They're the, I, I, in, in not a negative way, but they're kind of the flavor of the month. I mean, I think there's at least one other series on the East coast. I think quest is doing a series in, in Washington. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it, in the right places, it's like, I think swimmers specifically maybe are looking for a new challenge. It's kind of funny because mm-hmm. we're talking about it in my my screen on my computer right now is is Pactola, the lake near us. That's uh, mm-hmm. the picture. It, it's all frozen, but they did their first open water swim here. You know, two point mm-hmm. four. Just they had I don't know one hundred and fifty swimmers. It's like I didn't know there mm-hmm. was one hundred and fifty swimmers in the area. So. Yeah, maybe the yeah. maybe the swim run is is a, a good way entry gateway for the swimmers to that, and then move them on to adventure racing. But it sure well, seems like a, a yeah a growth growth sport right now. You know. That's that's that is. I'm glad you said that because that hits the nail right on the head. One of the reasons that we're starting to try different things isn't just because just flat out from an entrepreneurial standpoint, we want to try to get events going that are going to 
you know, afford us the ability to do more events. Yeah. Really, what we want to do is find other avenues to start bringing people in and introducing them to adventure racing. And that's certainly one of them. And OCR is the biggest target that everybody sees as the obvious mm-hmm. one, or triathlon, yeah. Ironman, x But yeah. I think that some of these other sort of fringe events like this, especially when you look at some of those East Coast, there's, there's one up in Maine. Um, there's a couple down in Florida. There's a, uh, there's a regulatory body for it and everything. Some of these events have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, and yeah. so if we can instead of going along a coast or like they do out in Europe and especially up in uh, like Norway where they literally do island hopping, yep, and swim to one island and jump out and run across the island and then swim to the next island. <laughs> uh, if if we can sort of do a mako tillo like that and we can go back and forth across a lake, you know, if if that's a way to introduce people to the sport because the venue is the same. Right. That's up for us. That's Yellow Creek State Park here in Pennsylvania, which is a nice. It's a it's a lake park and it's a nice venue with a lot of really cool single track around it, and um, it's a really nice adventure racing course. So if we can use some of that same venue and introduce people to some of the other um, stuff around that area, then that's that's really the whole point. Yeah. So um, I should probably know this, but I don't really pay attention. But where is obstacle course racing at now is it still i mean is it still as big is it still peaking or is it kind of trending oh, down yeah. or where do you think it's still, still in my growing? region uh in my region it's definitely still growing they have mm-hmm. there's there's one that is about an hour and a half from here a, a spartan that goes on over in ohio about an hour and a half from here every late spring early summer I know this because my nephew is trying to talk me into doing this with him. Um, they have heats in this that literally go all day. Wow. And there are there's a couple hundred people per heat. And they just go and go and go and go. And I'm sitting there doing the math and I'm going, this is, this is thousands of people that they have going every day. And if anything, there's getting to be more and more of them in the Northeast here anyway. I'm seeing more and more of them. It's yeah. just that I see I, I, I see a plateau coming in for these. I just think people are going to start to get bored with this after a while and be looking for what's next. And hey, we're going to be right there to scoop them up. There you go. Yeah. Is it is it like you know optical course? Is it one and done or one or two and done? Do you think? Or do people? Yeah. Just... Um, I I would think so. I can't imagine it's the kind of thing you'd want to do ten times because they never really change much. Yeah. Yeah, at least okay. the overall experience of it. Even if the obstacles change, it seems like the overall experience of it doesn't change much, which is a a big, I think, advantage to adventure racing. Yeah, it's even if you're on the same general area, you never go in the same way, and sometimes it's dark, and sometimes it's light, and so. Um, uh, one other yeah. technical question about your races, and then I think, well, I promise we'll move on to more. Um, like your three-hour race, are you gonna? How do you? We have real navigation because that kind of oh, yeah. be a barrier. No, 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 no. Um, and, and I can say this with utmost confidence as a guy who did not know a single thing about adventure racing until I walked in to do a, a I think a three or a four hour my very first race. I, I came in and it was just a question of if anything, navigation becomes much more important in shorter races. If if the if the RD does a good job of laying out a course 
and giving you options. And especially if they weight the point values, which some a lot of orienteering does. Um, these days, at least the last few ARs that I've been in, in and around, one CP is one point. And, you know, the I've always liked races where they weight the point value a little bit. Further CPs are a higher point value or a more difficult yeah. CP is a higher point value. Um, when I was doing a bunch of the sprint races, that was usually the case. Frank was really big on weighting the point values like that because it really changed your decision making. And when you only had three hours, and so if you just broke it up and into three equal increments, or if it was really a duathlon where you had, uh, and it, it, if it's a really short sprint, especially if it's early spring and it's going to be real muddy or something, that's going to be typically a duathlon where it's just on the bike and, and a trek, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you really had to be careful about your route choice and make good nav decisions early. And it was always, to me personally, it always seemed like a, the sign of a really good course when you had 50 or 60 racers at the start and Frank yells go and 30 racers go one way and 30 racers go another way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because a lot of these races, I think the first couple of CPs are so obvious, or if it's a longer race, the, just the general loop of the course is so obvious because they're all pushing you towards that next TA. Everybody's going to kind of go the same way. And these smaller, faster races, um, physically, they're very different because it's much more like a, it's like a 5K versus a, a marathon. You know, you're hauling ass the whole time in a three hour. And, in a longer race, obviously you're not, and you know that that's a very different physical format. But when when somebody yells "go" and everybody scatters like roaches into the woods into all these different directions, <laughs> I yep. I love that. That's that's really cool. That's that's going to make for an interesting finish. And the other thing that you see, I think, more in the sprint races that makes for um, an exciting event is something that I know was discussed in that RD summit recently was how do we get better as a sport at the finish, how do we create a more exciting atmosphere, a more rewarding atmosphere at the finish? Yeah. And I think that's a huge advantage to sprint races. The long races, you got people coming in an hour apart, two hours apart, six hours apart. If it's an expedition race, you know, and it's how are you going to get a crowd and and a party and that kind of stuff like these, these other sorts of events do like marathons and things yeah and so mom and the kids or dad and the kids can't watch dad come home you know yeah and and i think we're going to have some more from from the from the summit but was there any good ideas how to do that you know if it's not a sprint race i mean the only the only good way i ever saw and it was a little contrived was expedition idaho where they had a dark zone the night before and then had everybody race and finish at a beer and blues festival. But, but that's a little contrived. I don't, I, I don't know how you do it any other way. It was great. Racers loved it, but so did anybody have any brilliant ideas? I didn't hear any right off the top of people's heads. Okay. And I think that that's going to be an area of discussion. I mean, I've got yeah. my own ideas. I, I think that when you have, um, you know your your specialty areas like ropes and things like that. You can you can create windows where uh, and and high point values where if teams are going to be there between the course of these two or three hours is going to be your window for getting these points. 
So regardless of what else you're doing, you want to be crossing over this point at that time, and then that can be a focal point for everybody. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's yeah. just one idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, there's going to be other If you're here between... That actually plays... Yeah. I was going to say, if you're here... Yeah, be... that's... If you're in the ropes between noon and 12, or 12 and 2 o'clock, you get double points. <laughs> right, Exactly. You know, or you just you you open up that area over a certain course. So we have an event actually going on in September of this year where that's going to play heavily into it because we literally have certain events that are going to happen at certain times or at certain points in the race that need to happen as a group. So it, the one that we're doing in September is called the Kilt Challenge, and that is going to be an adventure race, but it's going to incorporate various events that are from the Highland games and have that feel to it. So the caber mm-hmm. toss, the stones throw, um, log carries and things like that. That's, that's going to be an adventure race where literally every racer is issued a kilt. You are going to wear your kilt for the duration of the race. And there's going to be different Highland games sort of events that go on in sort of a central field. And then the race is going to span out from there and go out and around. So, not only is that an interesting problem to solve from an RD standpoint, it's one that we're going to have to solve by September. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's, but that's going to be a great race. And, and that's one where you know, we're going to encourage families and friends and things like that to come. It's a, it's sort of a, you know, it's a kilt thing. It's a Highland games kind of an yeah. atmosphere. So we're hoping to have some good food for that and some beer after you're done. And um, you know, that's, I think that's a good sort of crucible for figuring out some of those problems. Yeah. yeah, well, that should be interesting. And, you know, maybe that's uh, another way in is is these adventure races that have something a uh, little I, – I, I hate that using – calling it a gimmick in the, in the best way, but it gets people like, yeah, this is fun. I wonder what it's like when we're out in the woods all night. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, the I, I definitely feel and hear – that kind of I, I can almost hear it in the background people that are listening to this that are racing purists or that go to the site as an adventure racer and you see things yeah. that say things like a kilt challenge um and they sort of sneer at that or you know and say ah yeah. come on but you know what we we have first of all as a racer as somebody who's raced for eight or nine years some of the most fun i've had um were those little things that they did to us in the race that made it fun. And I mean, I'll give you an example, just little stuff. Like one time I went to a race and it was in my first year of racing. And the first thing that they did when they handed us our clue sheets was he handed you a Ziploc bag that was, that had your clue sheet torn up into tiny little pieces and a roll of scotch tape and said yeah. and said go and so the first thing you had to do was sit down and tape this stupid thing together but it, and it took you about 10 minutes <laughs> you know but that was fun and everybody was laughing and chatting the whole time and then you took off running and then there were three or four little challenges like that that took place throughout the race and kind of yeah. i don't know spiced it up for lack of a better way to put it yeah i mean you know the the little challenges that cowboy tough would do at the at the you know Usually during the prologue, just to break everybody up. I think mm-hmm. at first glance, those were, you know, like my favorite pulling the uh, ribbon off a cow's tail. But, but they were fun. They were in the, you know, they're in the flow of the race. They actually worked for the race. So, 
Um, yeah, why not? You know, look at we're in a sport where people argue about optional control points. So you, you know they're going to argue about the uh, the uh, adding the Highland Games into them. But at least we're talking to each other. Well, I think as I think as a company, our personality is going to be that we offer this kind of fun stuff to bring people in and expose them to the sport, and then we're also, even if we don't do a, a full-on, long, true, pure AR in our first season, we're going to have true adventure races, even in, a, like I said, a 6 or a 12 in our first year. You know Doug, I think, well enough to know that he is a dyed-in-the-wool adventure racer who is yeah. all about putting on a, a real honest-to-goodness adventure race. Yeah. And, you know, he I think rightfully so, he considers himself something of an authority on the subject, and I, I would agree with him. And so we'll have those events too, but I think that – I think my response to the gimmick comment, if I ever hear it from someone, and I haven't had that – really said directly to me yet but if somebody really considers themselves a purist of the sport and, and all that kind of stuff and they're sort of uh, a snob about it for lack of a better way to put it my response to that would be how's that been working out for you mm-hmm. um yeah you know I, I don't think i don't think that's good for the sport either i think it's good yeah. to offer that but but you have to have two sides to that coin so yeah. you know this those kinds of events are the other side of the coin well and Face it, strictly from your guys' point of view, if you're not making a little money on these, they're not going to continue. So you 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 you've got to go to the market. You can't you can't expect uh, just to get hardcores. So you got to do what sure. you got to do to. You, hey, uh, secret, you guys aren't going to get rich doing this. Oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, but if we ever want to, if we ever want to put enough money in the bank to be able to stage an event like a Maya Mountain, you know, yeah. or or uh, not maybe not PQ, but but something like a Cowboy Tough or yeah. something along those lines, you know, that that it takes money to be able to put on a good quality event that people are going to love like that, and that's that's our goal. We want to be able to put on a few of those every year. Yeah, it's it's there. So, um, all right, We're enough business. How did you get from? Um, a solo three-hour race to Maya Mountain this year? Uh, well, Maya Mountain happened really by happenstance. The The Belizean team, one of the teams from Belize down there, lost a member and wanted to have a four-person team and asked Doug, who is the RD for that race, to recommend some racers to them. And so he was nice enough or I guess maybe dumb enough to recommend me. And so I reached out to them and told them about what my race experience was and it turned out to be a good fit. So, um, you know, I, I gained a slot because of that. And this will actually be my first expedition race. I've done a bunch of 24s. I have not done a full-on four-day. So this one's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Do you think – I mean, I – was this just the natural progression and it just this is just the way it happened i mean were you probably not from your first race but were you always looking forward you know well, i did this i'm going to go 24 48 has that always been something you've been working towards yeah i think so and i'm one of those guys that saw the eco challenge when it was on tv yeah. and you know really thought to myself man that's I, I, you, I watched Expedition Alaska. I watch all that kind of stuff, and 
there's not not Eco Challenge, but Expedition Alaska, there's a certain amount of TV drama, Hollywoodism that goes into it. You know, those mm-hmm. aren't if you if you saw that show, those aren't exactly not all of them are full on yeah. athletes. Um, yeah. Certainly, some of them were, but not all. No, I I, uh. I always at the other. I think one of the main things was. As soon as I had done a couple of a, of one of the lengths, as soon as I had done a couple of six hours, like that first year when I was doing sprint, and then that six that six hour eight hour round Hidden Valley ski resort or something like that at the end of the year, you know I really freaked out and trained and you know I was a monk about my diet and everything because I was so scared of, of the event. And then after you do it and you do it well and you're all proud of yourself, you're kind of looking for that next notch. So yeah, it it starts to level up every time the other thing though that i noticed and i know a lot of racers are going to attest to this because there's such a big swell of um the demographic that's going through ar right now as far as i know is as you get older you start to notice that older racers do better the longer the event is Mm -hmm. and certainly that's that's been the case for me and, and that's one of the aspirational things even when i was trail running you know the 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 first laurel highlands that's a uh, the relay that I did was a 50k relay, so it wasn't even all that long the first time that I did it. And it was three people that did it, so each guy had about maybe anywhere from 10 to 12 miles each that you had to do. And I did the last leg of the race, which went over over top of Seven Springs Ski Resort. And so, like many races, the bib color denotes which event you're doing. Mm-hmm. So i i had the I had the wimpy bib. It was meant that I was doing a relay, and so I'm dry, I'm I'm cruising along in my wimpy bib, and and for about maybe 15 or 20 minutes of the race, as we went up over top of the um, Seven Springs Ski Resort, which is the highest point on the Laurel Highlands hiking trail, as I'm going up over top of this beautiful vista, and I'm about halfway through my leg, and I'm working pretty hard as a runner. There are these two guys next to me running that are wearing backpacks and have trekking poles just cruising along and they had to be in their mid to late sixties, both of them. And we just were chatting it up and kind of, kind of cruising along. And, and I looked over at one point and realized that their bibs were that they were doing the entire 50 miler, not the 50 K mind you, the 50 miler. And so since I was the third leg of my relay, that meant that all of us guys who at the time were in our thirties were getting outpaced by these guys that were in their mid to late sixties and they still had half again, as much distance to go. So I saw that and and said, you know what? That's great. This is a sport that I can do for the rest of my life. And I feel like that's how adventure racing is. This is a sport that I can be involved in and continue to, to reach higher and higher levels at for pretty much the rest of my life. That makes, yeah. I mean, yeah. And then my, I was always like, well, I don't have to be fast. I'm getting old. <laughs> so there's always that part too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's true. There's, I mean, I don't see a I don't see a hundred year old guy going out there and being able to beat people. But you know how it is. You, you yeah, make better decisions. Well, you have more experience. You're the wily vet. Yep, you're you're in and out of the transition in two minutes and not twenty minutes, looking for your uh, your your shell. I knew I put it in here, and you dig through it all. You know they know yeah. where everything is. Yeah. yeah. Or you see these guys yeah. that are relatively new to it, and they're young and they're fast, and they'll blow your doors off in a 10k. But they're freaking out. They got all these different gels and 
all these different, like nutritionally, they've got 16 different products that they're taking with them for this race. And then you, you see the old school mountain goat walk up there and, you know, power down a hoagie right before the race start. And he's good, yep. except for maybe a couple of pieces of pizza for the rest of the day. Yep. Or a Big Mac. Yeah. Cheeseburger. Exactly. Yep. yep. So, um, what are you doing in preparation for your first expedition length race? Are, are well, you, are physical, you training any different or yeah, yeah what's, I am. It, what's it like yeah. getting ready? <laughs> well, I used to train in sort of just your typical gym guy format where I would, I'd spin for an hour. I'd go out for an hour, hour and a half long bike ride out on the trails, or I would do, I would do an hour and a half trail run and try to go at a hard pace. You know, now I do the frequency of my training is maybe cut in half. I do maybe the half, I do half the number of runs or rides in a week, but mm-hmm. they're three times the distance. Okay. So now I'll go four hours. Like Friday, I did a four hour pack run. So I packed up my pack to 20 to 25 pounds, which is what I'm guessing my pack will weigh. And I don't even look at how far I go. I just go yeah. out on my local couple of mile loop trail and I just go and listen to a football game or something for four hours or I just listen to the radio for four hours. Yeah. So that's definitely changed dramatically. So the time commitment is different now. I, I train less days, but I train all day when I do. And that that's paying physically that's paid big dividends over the over the last few months. I I feel much, much more prepared now than I think I ever have in my life. So that's been that's been great. And it's been more of a mental game. I've I've had to school myself on some of the equipment and not the use of the actual equipment, but just the packing aspect of it and the logistics of traveling out of the country with hundreds of pounds of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's yep. been interesting. Never had to do that before. So there's all those tricks for traveling with all your yep. gear and making sure it gets yep. there and customs and lithium batteries yep. in your backpack. Yep. I think I don't did I post that when you posted but You did. Yeah. You did. Yeah. And it, it was it was enlightening because I've got a I got a box of lithium I, I my lighting system on my bike and my um and my headlamp is I set it up so that I they all use the same lithium yeah. ion batteries. So it was good to hear that because I was going to probably pack them in my suitcase or something and and check them. Yeah. So I'm glad and you I like that. the I like the uh the fireproof case just Honestly, the reason I use that is if they look at it, they, and they're like, "Oh, wow, you know what you're doing? You're putting them all in the in the bag." Yeah, you would not believe how many different. Let's see, I got GoPro batteries, I've got gimbal batteries, I've got drone batteries, camera batteries. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It, what I like to do is take enough so that I don't have to charge during a race. So I'll take. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll take like six GoPros with me, but probably close to 20 batteries, and they'll mm-hmm. all be charged before I go. So, you know, and then, you, then I always try to charge as during it, but if, you know, if uh, worse comes to worse, I got enough for the whole race. But, um, yeah, so it's, well, it, it's so interesting. The, yeah, that level of education, and, and it's everything. It's, it's pack rafts, it's the battery, mm-hmm. it's the pack itself i had to take a step up with the pack i went from the ms1 to the as1 um you know the the food and some of the tips and if you've 
been on that adventure racing discussion group, you've probably seen me popping up there pretty frequently with dumb questions about food and things like that. And, and it's been, I, I really love that Facebook group because there's, yeah. even when people just check in and check out and people don't, aren't on there all the time, there's such a nice community of people that have already um, had a lot of the problems that I'm facing. So they can sort of help me avoid some of the typical pitfalls. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. But it's been yeah. uh, the mental part of it and the study part of it has been more fun, I think, than than any aspect of it. I'm not worried about it physically. I, I think I'm going to be fine physically. I, yeah. uh, I'm old enough and fit enough that I know how to I know how to take care of my body and, and not push myself too hard. So I think I'll be fine. Um, but it's that it's the technical aspect and just being able to use the equipment, have the right stuff. And I've never done a jungle race. So that's going to be cool. The jungle at night. It's funny, you know, I, a couple of years ago I made, everybody does these periodically, but I sort of made my racing bucket list and mm. racing a, a full on jungle rainforest was definitely at or near the top of my list. And just by serendipity, um, you know, the, all of a sudden out of the blue, Hey, the Belize guys need somebody. Are you interested? And just jump yeah. at the chance, not having no idea what I was getting into. It, it'll be interesting because the race two years ago, you know, quote-unquote a jungle race, was more like, um, it, to me, it really wasn't a lot different than than um, the Black Hills in places. It was almost kind of pine foresty. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's in a different different area this year, so I'm, I'm really curious to see how Tarzan jungle it, it is. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Well, it's just coming off of the rainy season. It's going to be the yeah. start of the dry season. So I'm thinking it's going to be pretty lush and buggy mm-hmm. and yeah. full-on jungly. So that'll be cool. Yeah. So, yeah, because two years ago, the one long trek was, was what I would call, you know, Tarzan jungle. It was really overgrown and muddy and stuff. But the rest of it was um, definitely not easy. But um not what I was expecting, so I'm, I'll be curious to see how this year's race meets my expectations. The other good thing I think for you, being your first expedition and overseas race, is p- people there speak English, which is a huge, huge thing. Yeah, yeah. My Spanish is uh, is no bueno. So no, mine is. I <laughs> Yeah, I I have done my best. I mean, I I'm I, I definitely learned the basic terms that I'm going to need to know like I'm really hungry or <laughs> I need yeah. to wait or I I need to stop or I need to rest or what the heck is that thing? Um yeah. <laughs> you know, those 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 basic terms I think I have, but other than that, no. And, th- and th- thankfully there are a couple of my teammates that are very good English, so I think we'll be okay. Yeah. Have you been able to you know, chat with them, spend much time online with them, get to know them. Only email. No, only email. And, uh, thankfully a couple of them, they, uh, they did race the last time. And, uh, it's Derek and Boris, um, are SCD Rangers down there. So they're on, they're on film from the last one and they're heavily involved in the conservation community down there. So I've seen them. They haven't really seen me, but it's going to be kind of interesting to see us as a team together, like in the interviews and stuff, because I think they're, uh, I, I don't think that they're particularly tall. 
I, you know, they're, they're probably t- pretty typical as far as Belizeans go. And yeah. they, they're probably better suited to soccer than basketball. Um, and I'm six foot three. So it's going to be kind of funny. Yeah. You're going to have three, <laughs> three Belizeans that look very much at home. And then this big sweaty Viking coming up behind them. Probably the way this is going to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll be, it'll, yeah, I think you're in for a hell of an experience. Yeah. I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to it. That's uh, one of the things that I, that I'm hoping we can do. And we meaning, Lionheart as an adventure racing company is keep the adventure in adventure racing. I think it has mm-hmm. to have that aspect to it. It can't be a triathlon. It can't just be yeah. a grind and slogging away. And I, on longer races, I think that there's still some of that that comes into play just based on people's reports that I read and some of the coverage that I see of the races. There's big long stretches that is just kind of a grind. And I just hope that as a sport, we can keep that excitement and that cool factor in it. You know, that that's that's the other thing I'm hoping to see as the sport hopefully continues on the uptick over the next few years here is I want people to take advantage of the venues that we have in this country, especially for like the bigger premier races. Um, just some of the some of the stuff that you see um, for trail races is so epic and beautiful. And every time I see it, I think to myself, man, that would just be a fantastic venue for an adventure race. And I hope we take advantage yeah. of more of that. I think that'll attract more people. Yeah, I think um, it's harder for people to get places where there's nobody. An adventure racer can kind of take them there because you guys know mm-hmm. you guys know all the cool spots that that normal people don't. So I think if people might maybe that's a way to uh, market adventure racing. Go or Go where normal people don't go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Is it? laughs> so, um, are you going to be able to do any other races this year? I mean, you've, I think you got a pretty full plate, it sounds like, but do you have anything else planned for yourself? I do, and I'm very much taking it as targets of opportunity. I'm going to be keeping an eye out. There's a whole bunch of races out in Virginia, all the Shenandoah races I'm looking at. Um Pretty much anything within a day's drive and an overnight hotel stay from Western yeah. PA. Um, and that has me looking a lot at the East Coast and going up into New York and then down into Virginia and, and those. I don't really have a huge burning desire to go down as far south as South Carolina or Florida and do the swamp races and those kinds of things. Yeah. I really like the varied elevation terrains, and thankfully we have a lot of that around the Northeast. Yeah. Um, that Krista Greisiger that went on last year was great. That was actually out in near coal country where I grew up. So that was a really fun one to do. I, that race was, I hadn't been out in that area in a long time and it was about a half hour from my grandmother's house when I was growing up out in, in, uh, Eastern Pennsylvania. So I'll be looking at a lot of them this year and just kind of hitting them, you know, it's when they get pretty close, I'll sign up or see if anybody's looking for a teammate. Yeah. I, um, I think you might want to keep an eye on the old South down. Yeah, I'm seeing that. That's he's he's posting some really cool pictures of that. That looks really interesting. Yeah, when I when I talked with Walker, it's like okay, I'm a snob. Maybe that's not the right word, but I'm in the mountains. I'm living, you know, I'm in the middle of the forest right now, and I'm like, 
well, you got to have mountains and you got to have forests. And how can you have an adventure race in Florida or Louisiana? And, and then when talking with Walker, it's like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. So, you yeah. think he's going to have a ton of paddle in that? Um, you know what? No. I think he's basically about split in thirds time-wise. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you sp- yeah, obviously you're going to have more biking. But in time-wise, he's trying to make it pretty pretty equal so um well, that I've, was my I've first question the, too yeah 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 I've, I've admired the scenery that he's been showing on there it definitely looks it looks yeah. like it'll make for good photos so and the, yeah, the well, food will probably be great too yeah and yeah. I, th- I think i see him uh he's posted a couple things that there's going to be food involved so yep that's a big attraction for me <laughs> there you go well when i talked to him i said you know you need to have um moonshine shots i think that i think that should be a a a staple the cowboy tough started with their whiskey shots so yeah shots during races yeah um i don't know what we do around pittsburgh um uh what is iron city beer isn't that what it is i was thinking beer we got a couple of really good breweries yeah i don't know that I I i don't know that i'd put iron city up there with them but we got a couple of good ones See, I don't think it should be good beer. I think it has to be iconic to the region. So. <laughs> right. In Milwaukee, you do Milwaukee's best. Yeah. And maybe maybe PBR, but that's kind of hipsterish. So, um, yeah, I think if he does moonshine, he should, like, find some old boys that are really making moonshine out in the middle of nowhere and give you have you take a couple shots of that fire water. But. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That'll, see, it's uh, easy. If, put, put some hair on yeah. your chest. That's for sure. Yeah. See, I I bring these suggestions up because that makes really good photos of watching people, you know, <laughs> slam shots of whiskey. So, but, well, maybe for the um, kilt challenge. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, a little. There you go. So, get some good, good Irish whiskey for them. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, I'm full of ideas. I think. I don't have any more questions. All right. Well, Other, listen, I appreciate it. It's, it's yeah. been a lot of fun. Yeah, except I'll I'll see you in about, I think, like 35 days or something like that. It's getting pretty yeah, close. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. about, uh, it's just over a month. Yeah, a couple yeah. days more than a month. Yeah, so I'll, let's see. So like a month from now, I'll have to start thinking about packing. That's the thing you'll learn is it is is eventually you won't have to start packing a month out. You just wait till like the day before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that literally may be because my flight out of here is at like 7 at night, so I could probably just wait till that day to pack. Well, this race just started taking over my dining room. I have I just started laying out all my gear, and I've got my gear list, and I'm packing it and unpacking it and repacking it. So it's, <laughs> uh, it is just beginning. Yeah, cool. I love I love rookies. <laughs> so, well, so. I gotta I have to give a I definitely have to give kudos to my wife. First of all, she's letting me go and do this race, which is yeah. a miracle in and of itself. And every single time I complain about doing anything, all she has to do is say the word Belize, and I immediately get up and do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she's so. I've taken over the dining room, and it's it's now Adventure Racing Prep Central. So she's been very supportive and understanding 
So that's cool. Well, that's a good place to stop. Understanding why. All right. We love them. So, all right. Thanks for the chat. Thanks, Randy. See you soon. All right. Bye. Bye bye.
Hasta 